0: Welcome to the Road to Success podcast. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by Celebrity Speakers New Zealand, Aotearoa's foremost professional speakers and entertainment agency, and they've been doing that for over 30 years. Today, my guest is Jamie Fitzgerald, and he is one of Celebrity Speakers' top keynote speakers. So if you or your organization are interested in having Jamie at your next event, then head to celebritiespeakers.co.nz and inquire with the friendly team. In the meantime, enjoy. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with adventurer and high-performance strategist, Jamie Fitzgerald. Jamie Fitzgerald, hey, thanks for joining me. Oh, yeah, know, awesome to be here, mate. It's been a weird old world. We were just talking off air before. Obviously, you, you know, you do a bit of speaking, and so do I. But uh, the, um, you know, our life has sort of been on on Zoom calls for the for the last couple of years.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Now tell me about it. I mean, it's it's been an interesting time. It's almost been like a social experiment uh, to see how people and businesses have have reacted. And you know, I know, I know there are people out there that that say um, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Um, but I think the reality is that, you know, I think success is more about helping people uh, succeed in a future that cannot be predicted, you know. So I think this whole thing of how we choose to respond is has really revealed, you know, how people's mindset has set them up or not.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, when we were going into this, um, into the pandemic, I you know, we've got a couple of businesses and I was trying to figure out what was going on and, and and someone actually gave me a really, really good bit of advice and I've actually rung him and thanked him for this afterwards, but he said, um, your attitude through this will determine your outcome from this. And I just, oh, it yes. was it was such a beautifully synchronised bit of sort of information oh, that I... Yeah, big time,
1: big time. I mean, there's, you know, we could sort of talk about a bunch of stories. You know, one of the adventures that I, I went on, so um, me and this great friend, Kevin... We wanted to, we tackled this unsupported trek to the South Pole and back, unsupported and unaided, so no one had had done that before, so no tractors or dogs or anything. And you train your guts out for about 12 months, dragging tyres all around the streets, you know, getting laughed at, all of that sort of stuff, Um, and yet as soon as we started... We expected it to be a doddle, right? Because we trained for more hours with more car tyres and, and in the Arctic and things than anyone else. And yet we were just not making any progress at all. In fact, we were meant to be traveling 30Ks a day. And, you know, we we're only traveling five, and it was an embarrassment. And when you talk about the, you know, the attitude and how we choose our attitude, our conversations had got really negative for a couple of days to the point where we wondered whether we should phone up this little plane that dropped us off to then pick us up and take us far closer to the uh, south pole so fundamentally changing the objective of the expedition
0: mm-hmm. but
1: thankfully we changed we recognized that and we changed our our kind of way of thinking in it and we said well instead of the the conditions then leading to how we responded, then leading to the outcome, we instead said, hey, look, the conditions and the soft snow and the the wind and everything, uh, we we can't necessarily change that. Um, But let's now focus on the objective and and think about that next and let the objective determine how we respond. Mm -hmm. And so in practice, what that meant was, um, you know, each day we were sort of playing mind tricks on ourselves about how to, have a conversation and the types of questions we asked each other so that mm-hmm. it made us feel more proactive and, and in control of the controllables. Um, and, and I it definitely had it shifted the pendulum in our favor. And, and I, you know, and that's what helped us get to the South Pole. I'm sure of it.
0: Yeah, 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 and and you know maybe we can sort of um, you know I'll sort of d- a bit of background for you as well because we sort of um, you know you're sort of quite an interesting person I would say you've you've obviously worked, walked unaided to the South Pole you've you hold two uh, world rec- you hold a world record for rowing the Atlantic you've represented New Zealand twice walked a length in New Zealand and fronted two different documentaries and on the same hand you're also sort of quite entrepreneurial you've worked um, in a number of different industries including marketing finance agriculture education and now you're running a consultancy. Business as an expert in strategy leadership and change movement it's not a bad looking c v if you read it out like that is it uh,
1: <laughs> yeah well, i guess um yeah it has but it has been awesome i mean there are so many um uh, ulti- ultimately across both of those um different types of careers if you like there there has been one common theme, and I would say it's all about um either helping my team or other teams you know be the best that they can be or 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 achieve peak performance you know how do we exceed our own best practice in pursuit of a you know overarching vision or goal or you know choose your terminology but I have really enjoyed the the metaphors or the connections between the two um, yeah I mean for some of those things that you mentioned um, like the world record across the ocean no, not that many people do it so it's a record that's not that hard to get right <laughs>
0: Well, I'd still. Say, I wouldn't say it's not hard to get. Rowing across the ocean is certainly hard. It's just uh, it's a it's a small group of people that are willing to take on the challenge. It doesn't uh, doesn't in any way downplay the the effort that's required. I've actually had a guy on here called Isaac Gieson. Do you know Isaac? Giesen? Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, I
1: know Isaac. I mean, it was amazing what what
0: Isaac did as well, and and the cause that that yes. he was doing yep. it for. I really admire him for that. Yeah. Yeah, he did it um, He did it solo, I mean, any of any it's, you know, oh. incredible. So let's let talk about that sort of adventure side because I think it's good to sort of, like I said, I think there's, you know, you've got a few metaphors that you can draw out from the adventures you've been on that sort of now ties into the, the work that you do. So let's sort of, um, you know, go into that a little bit. Where did this sort of desire, I guess, for you to to start exploring and, and challenge yourself physically come from? Yeah, yeah, well, it's... Um well, if, if, if
1: very quickly, if I just jump back to where I was at, a, at a, as a kid, I was born on a sheep station in in Gisborne, so uh, the headwaters of the Motu River, and you know, and then one day my father went to Tauranga to buy a sheep dog, and instead he bought a kiwifruit and avocado orchard, you know. So, um, so I think this whole thing of um, wanting to. Be connected to the land, having to be practical, you know surviving or thriving through change and and adapting and and rolling my sleeves up and and you know and taking on some sort of lofty goals i I think I can draw it back to living on a farm and having to solve problems you know when the conditions or call it the weather um are against are against you so fast forward you know a few years. Uh, from Tauranga, yeah, I did a lot of rowing and, at school and I went on to row for New Zealand, which was fantastic. I reached this point after finishing some study where there were, I had this uh, option or I had, I, a f- friend of mine asked me, look, hey, can you help me out with one other rowing race because I need an extra row because one of the two people is, has pulled out of this boat because of an injury. And I said, yeah, sure. And i just completed a, a rowing race against Cambridge and Oxford Universities and and I said, yeah, well, what's the race? And he said, well, it starts in Africa and it ends in in um, Barbados. <laughs> and I had no idea. It turns out it was the Atlantic Ocean. So that was the first very big expedition or, or adventure that I did. And one of the things about the appeal of that was that it was the unknown. Uh, it, you know, there are, there are mainstream sports like when I was doing r- rowing, but the playing field is very clear. You know what you're up against. It's the formula for how to succeed, you know, training, nutrition and, and things, you know, there's a parallel between that sport and then adventure. But the, the playing field was was really well known. So having the chance to then take on other big campaigns where the playing field is actually, it's it's absolutely unknown in many respects because you don't know the conditions that you'll face. You don't know when the storms will appear on the ocean. You don't know where the crevasses will open up in Antarctica, and and working with others to navigate that, either literally navigate, um, but also working with a team around how do you solve problems. Um, I, I find that really appealing, and going to locations or ta- or taking on challenges where it's the path less traveled, I, I do quite like that. And I, and I think that's an interesting metaphor through to, to business of how teams, they first of all require clarity and alignment of what the goal is to start with, but then everyone has an opinion of how they might get there. And so how do you, how do you kind of create sufficient alignment to, to achieve that goal? I, I, found, I find an adventure that r- really interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, w- w- when you were asked to do that rowing race, that, that Cross Atlantic, did you know in your gut that like the second you heard that you were going to say yes? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really funny, actually, because... I said
1: to this mate, Rob, who asked me, well, he first of all asked me to be the reserve. I think that was his strategy. And, and <laughs> I just thought I was going to get a free T-shirt. Like, how often is the reserve needed in, you know, for something like that? But then I asked, well, when is the race? Or how far is it? And he said, it's 5,000 Ks. And then I said, uh, who's the other guy in the boat? And his name, he said his name's Kevin Bigger. And I'd never met this guy in my life. And then I said, well, how, how far away is it? When does it start? And he said it's in three weeks. And so I kind of had this sphincter tightening experience, and, um, really not knowing. And I was really eager to to take it on, but I was I was scared. The only thing that gave me a bit of comfort was that I, I knew different people uh, from various boats from the previous few races, because it happens every two years. I knew some people who had completed it. So that gave me some peace of mind that, you know, if they can do it, well, maybe other people can, and maybe I can too. Um, but I did go off and do a little bit of research um, and because I wasn't sure if I could trust this friend of mine. But once I met Kevin, and I had this real appreciation. He and I connected. We're very different, Kevin. You know, I said I grew up on a on a sheep farm and helped dad with home kill and everything and fencing. Um Kevin's Kevin's first job was he was a mascot at Rainbow's End. <laughs> <laughs> and he won't mind me saying that because I love it. And it represents how different we, we both were. And as mm-hmm. soon as I met him, we had this connection that I knew that our different perspectives could help us through some tricky stuff and he was so well prepared it inspired me um, so I thought you know I'm up for it and you know the rest is history and he and I have gone on and we've done a few different trips together you know some adventures I've I've not done with Kevin but most of them have been and it's been fantastic
0: yeah uh, we never I mean the reason I asked that question is because I just have this sort of i don't know it's kind of like an internal radar almost and I've been asked to do some things before you know you have this idea in your mind and and deep down you know that you're going to end up doing it and you're just sort of trying to convince your your subcon- or your you know your conscious mind <laughs> that, that you are actually going to do it um uh, i on the on this podcast actually I was interviewing a guy called Andy Beal and he's sort of an endurance um Freak, I'd say, and uh, I was asking him how he came up with his ideas. And when I was telling him, I said, "Oh, I saw this. Um, I saw this video during lockdown, and this guy did a thousand burpees, and in and in, in a go. And then um, I, I asked him some sort of question about it, and he just went quiet. And then he comes back and he says." You know we've got to do this now, don't you? And I was just like, God damn it, Andy! And fast forward about four months, we ended up doing it. But you just have that. That is gut so mo- cool. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> wasn't cool at the time, but yeah, ended up being ended up ended up being good.
1: There's this there's this thing I I don't I don't know if this is proven by research. I suspect there is. I, su- I suspect there's a bunch of um, people who have proven this, but I'm convinced that the more people you tell that you once you have a goal, there's a higher chance that you'll do it. Uh, so uh, so on the podcast that you had with them when you <laughs> talked about it, I think that's the perfect opportunity to say what a goal is. Um, you know, like if you tell just your partner and then you pull out, um, you know, they're still obligated to love you, right? If you, if you don't do it. But yeah. if you tell someone that you really don't want to let down or your workmates or on, live on a podcast,
0: Yeah, I reckon there's a much higher (laughs) chance that you're going to follow through with it. Uh, well, don't bring anything up here and, and lock me into anything, Jamie. I'm certainly not <laughs> going to row the Atlantic with you. Um, and so, and obviously, you know, you, you've rowed the Atlantic, but you've also walked, as you've mentioned, sort of unaided to the South Pole. Now, those, um, you could say fundamentally, they might draw on the same sort of, um, you know, elements in your body as far as adventure and interest and challenge and bits and pieces, but they're they're very different pursuits as well. So how did that one come up? Was that a, was that a friend that asked you to, to jump in again or...? Yeah, yeah, so... So after the the rowing race, I I came
1: back and and I finished some study in management and and communication, and uh, I went from owning a farm fencing business to then working within financial services. And for me, professionally, I thought that was, you know, going into the corporate jungle um, and, you know, the unknown. Now, after, you know, after a couple of years or after maybe less than that, I can't remember, but – I thought, you know, what would be another ad- adventure, what could be another endurance thing that I could I could carry on with. And at that time, I had the chance to get to know Sir Edmund Hillary a little bit more. Now he was the patron of our rowing race across the ocean, but I I'd, I'd had the chance to go and see him you know, a little bit with Kevin uh, up in Auckland where I was I was working and one and we'd done some research and it was coming up to the 50th anniversary from when Ed had driven tractors to the South Pole, and I th- and I thought, look, hey, wouldn't this be cool if we could do something to help celebrate his this anniversary from when he when he did this great trip? And at the same time, I, I sort of found out that yeah, no Kiwis had ever walked unaided and unresupplied to the South Pole, so no dogs or no tractors. And I thought, wow, you know, here's a thing to celebrate Ed's Ed's anniversary. So Kevin and I, we go and have a cup of tea with him at his place and we tell him what our goal is. We sort of lay our heart out on the table there with our cups of tea and a biscuit sort of saying, and not knowing how this guy's going to respond. We tell him the goal and I'm not taking a piss when I say he looks at us after we tell him the goal and he says, is that it? And, And you you look at the guy, you sort of spill your cup of tea and you're not quite sure how to respond. And finally though, he he said, after we kind of asked him what he meant, he said, look, whatever you do, make sure it's the most demanding but rewarding thing that you can imagine. And that's stuck with me since then. And interestingly, it, it ties into a whole chunk of research we've done around peak performing businesses around the world. Uh, but this whole thing around what 's the greatest imaginable challenge that you you can imagine, and so we went away from that conversation and we found out, yeah no Kiwis had ever walked there unaided, but no one from anywhere in the world had walked unaided from the coast to the south pole and back again, unresupplied, so no dogs or horses or anything. so we said, okay well well and it 's about twelve hundred ks to the south pole twelve hundred ks back it 's the highest, the driest, the windiest, the coldest continent on earth. So we said, hey, that's it. Uh, That's the goal then. Uh, Now, it turns out there was a reason why no one had ever done that before.
0: (laughs) And we were going to find
1: out uh, why. But uh, that whole concept of uh, what's the most demanding but rewarding thing, uh, that chat with Ed really, really stood out for me. So you asked about why why Antarctica. Uh, It started out by... By the anniversary from Ed, as the as a, a means to celebrate something, but because I'd done so much rowing in my life, you know, the flat water rowing boats, and then went on to the Atlantic, for right or for wrong, I didn't really think of it as that bigger achievement because I'd probably rowed the ocean, the equivalent of the ocean, two or three times in the previous fifteen years of training, flat out. So, the thought of taking on a challenge in a completely foreign environment, something that was I was having to learn from scratch that was really appealing and I'm not talking about it from a physical sense; I'm talking about it from something that you know very little about and that, and that was I, I was really attracted to that because the only time I'd ever been to the snow was at a six form p e camp you know a couple of decades earlier or a decade earlier so that was the motivation
0: yeah wow. and um, how cool to have Sered sort of challenge you like that? I think that's always the um you know well, I did this nothing what like you've done. I rode a rickshaw from the top of India to the bottom, and i um and I the idea was to raise some money, and I remember my I said oh, i'll I'll raise and I have someone who was sort of mentoring me, and I just was you know, it was more business, but the, I sort of said oh i i'm I'm, I'm going to do this and I'd, I'd like to raise ten thousand dollars. And he said, Oh, yeah, that's pathetic.' <laughs> I went, and, I went, and, and I'd even sort of like in my mind I I, I I said I remember saying I said I've got to raise ten thousand dollars when I give it to these charities and he said that's pathetic and I was sort of like I was probably like you were you know sitting there going oh far out like um why is how's that pathetic and then um, and then I think I said oh, well, I'll triple it and do thirty thousand dollars uh, and he said, uh, says something about sort of you, you get what you ask for, and um you know you, you'll never know unless you, you make it uncomfortable and so um yeah, we upped it and ended up getting far more than we even sort of upped it to, but uh it's interesting when when you get challenged like that, it's sort of a um it's a oh
1: yeah
0: yeah well it's
1: there, there's that phrase that uh I'm not sure where the phrase started out, but it's something like what we focus on becomes our reality." And that fundraising example I reckon that's perfect you know it's you know in the in the strategy world uh to me strategy is about two things it's about how do we organize ourselves to achieve an agreed objective, but it's also about choices, what we say yes to and what we say no to Now in the South Pole example, through that campaign, there was like probably fifty thousand tiny little choices or decisions that we had to make and it was because of the goal of walking there and back that it meant that we just could not make compromises and if our goal in hindsight was simply to walk there it meant that our sleds would be you know half the weight I'm sure we would have made compromises in the same way that for the rowing race it was across the ocean it was well do you want to just complete it or do you want to win and that fundamentally changes every decision for every minute of the day that you're out there mm-hmm. and so your fundraising example i think spot on
0: yeah it was, it was and it's you know uncomfortable but that is in that you know again if you know if we'd aimed for ten thousand dollars we probably would have got ten thousand dollars you know we ended up exactly. aiming at 50 and got 85 i think yeah. but, um That's it's so that cool. sort of it's that sort of yeah that that being challenge which makes it and um you know, you, you brought up an interesting thing there about strategy, and we'll get to that in, a, in a, more in a second. But you know, you talked about choices, and and um, you know, I often think about this that you know your, your your whole life is really a series of choices, and any business, any direction, an organization takes is just a series of choices. And um, you know, tr- trying to equip yourself, you know, in any situation, whether it's in the South Pole or and it's a uh, in a boardroom strategy session, to to make the right Choice is probably the most single, most important thing you could do with your life. You know, as long as you are healthy and you know you are loved and Mm. you you love, but you know, putting yourself in a position to make good choices will ultimately have a probably the, the most significant impact on your life you could imagine.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah, and sometimes, and sometimes,
1: what we say no to says more about us than when we say yes to something. You know, it's. You know, I, I just think that if you're ambitious, you you know, you're open-minded and and all of these kind of nice things, it is kind of easy just to keep saying yes and you get busier and busier and busier. It's when you say no, it, I think it demonstrates some real conviction to what you stand for, either as a business mm. around how you create value or as a person around what your personal goals are, your your values. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's when the real test happens. For example, if I'd said no to any of these other
0: adventures or something, well, what did that say about my own values? Um, mm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you, like there's that sort of phrase, you know, you can be good at anything but not everything. You know, you sort of have to <laughs> you know, pick and choose what it is and um, – you know, yeah, Jordan Peterson, you know, I don't know if you follow his work at all, he's a bit controversial, but he sort of yeah. he said that you can um you can have pretty much anything you want, but you've got to specify it and then be willing to sacrifice most other things in order to get down. Completely. Yeah, mm. completely. Mm. You know, it is it is.
1: Um and you know, when we talk about uh, some of these businesses or, or personal goals, you know, what are the Priority things that are going to help you achieve that goal, and everything
0: else is kind of a distraction. So, mm. Mm. yeah, yeah, did right. So, so let's talk a little bit about. Obviously, you've done these adventures, and, and you've, you've you know done a number of different things. But obviously, at the same time, you know you weren't doing these full time, or maybe you were for a short period of time. But you've obviously developed a career alongside that. So, how did your sort of career evolve to you know sort of again where you where you started yeah. and where you what you're doing now?
1: Yeah. So. So there was a couple of things. So what we're doing now, uh, I guess for inspiring performance, a lot of our work is around helping uh, helping teams, helping businesses, government agencies around the world, you know, be the best they can be. But in practice, what does that mean? Well, it means that they've got clarity and alignment of, of, you know, where they're going, how they'll get there, and how they'll maintain momentum. So if we if we go back a few years, I had spent a lot of time in – teams where I could ultimately choose who my teammates were either in a business or, or sporting sense. And then, but when you get a whole bunch of people who want to be world champions, things can often sort of take care of themselves. It's when you get in teams or a business where not everyone has the same motivations or their priorities are you know, their personal purpose is more around family or whatever their time of life is. And so I went when I went to financial services and managing branches of a of a bank and business banking, I, I I that became really clear to me around how do you get the best out of a team when everyone is different and there's diversity and things, and you know my roles around then were all around how to implement strategy then, so then I went on and did some of these adventures and when I came back, that's when I actually was able to. Um, You know, instead of just focusing on implementing strategy or how to align a culture around strategy, and I've done that a little bit overseas and in New Zealand, I I then got uh, the chance to uh, meet up with my former dean of the management school I went to, actually. His name is Dr. Mike Pratt. And he had done so much research with others around what makes an organisation achieve peak performance. So it was around how to set strategy And purpose and strategy and so he and i ended up doing a lot of work uh with the establishment of strategy now we were doing that with many many different businesses and on behalf of trade and enterprise new zealand for you know over a decade we were the providers of a strategy service where we were were helping you know hundreds of these businesses um grow bigger better faster for the benefit of new zealand And it was the establishment of strategy that I found really interesting because you can implement or align cultures to something, but what if it's the wrong thing? Or what if it's, you know, without sufficient, um, you know, clarity or or the right sort of goal we talked about, you know, the fundraising that you had Mm. or, or the South Pole. So that was the, that was, I guess, the. The shift to the work I'm doing now—it started off with being how to align and cultures and things—and then it sort of merged into well, how do we set off to begin with? And I've, and and I, that's what I find really interesting now. So I'm involved in the in the establishing of it and getting teams to figure out where they're going, um, and then subsequently, how do they maintain momentum through culture afterwards? So that's what that's what we do with practical tools and, and other bits and pieces.
0: Yeah, man, that's, um, I'm incredibly interested in all this. So I've certainly got, I've got a number of questions, but I'll start off by maybe can we define a couple of those terms? I'd be interested to see how you think of them. So strategy would be one and peak performance would be the other. What do they mean to you?
1: So, yeah, strategy in its most simplest form to me is about how do we achieve an agreed objective. So how do we organise ourselves to achieve an agreed objective? And then as we mentioned earlier, the second part of what I think strategy is, it's about choices. What do we say yes to and what do we say no to in pursuit of that? Um, and and strategy from a Greek word, I think, uh, it, you know, it, it, it also relates to, originates from a, a, a war or a, a battle setting around how do we achieve um, a, an objective. So that's, to me, that's what strategy is. Um, peak performance, and it's from the research sense, and there was a book uh, that that Mike and, and others were involved in, in establishing in the late 90s. It started out with them looking at case studies of global sporting teams who, because they were sports fans, you know, this is Kevin Roberts and others, so that, you, you know, Man United and and Chicago Bulls and things through the 90s. Uh, and they looked and they went and visited them all. And some of these sporting businesses, you know, players were coming and going ultimately, but these organisations were sustainably outperforming their industry peers. And so the question was, well, what's going on with them? And so that's where the research came from. And so nowadays, and then we've subsequently done research on non-sporting organisations, and, it, and it's largely been, been the same. And it's all around... Uh, How do you, peak performance being around uh, continually exceeding your own best practice in pursuit of an inspirational purpose? That would be the statement that for me Mm -hmm. describes peak performance. Um, Now sitting in behind that is around inspirational leadership, around flow, you know, a sense of family, you know, clear practices or or from an academic point of view, what's the business model and what's the operating model that makes that purpose possible? Um, But yeah, peak performance is around you know exceeding your best practice in pursuit of an inspirational purpose.
0: Yeah, well, those are you know obviously this is what you do for a living. I expect I expect pretty uh, you know explanations or definitions yeah. you know, align like that. <laughs> um, so so we'll go to the strategy then. So you know from a from a broad sort of high end you know sort of. Um, Viewpoint, you'd look at strategy and say, well, that's simply just the, you know, what are the decisions we plan to make? Um, And and so my question would be. you know, you've defined it, but you know, is it around? Um, you know, you, you talked about before about defining, you know, your, your customer and defining your value proposition and your USP, and then going—is that sort of the, where you start and figuring out what you sort of what what your what the net gain of the community or world is for your business existing, yeah. and then going right, what decisions do we need to make to achieve that? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's an it's, a, it's an interesting one. You look at case studies of different businesses around the world. Um, and you know, there are some pretty, uh, there are some pretty creative descriptions of purpose by some, you know, there's, there's one where it says, look, we want to make a ding in the universe, you know, and you're like, uh, what the heck does that mean? Um, in practice. So, uh, you know, it's, we want something to be inspiring, but it has to be down to earth and it has to be practical. And the one thing that I would say in all cases, in a, enterprise or business setting is that it has to relate ultimately to custom customer value or the or the creation of sustainable customer value and and my definition of or around that or of my my definition of an organization would be that it's just a group of people that come together to create value for another group of people you know so in all of you know when we talk about purpose or what we stand for or, or or then what the goal is, it has to be brought back to what is the sustainable value that we can create you know for our target customers. So uh, the lay I mean if I just go back to the the type of work that that I find myself in um, is there's the it starts with purpose and strategy, you know, any peak performance. Um, so, what's the goal? We need to know how we create value, what we stand for, but then that would translate through to the next layer of strategy, and I'd call it business strategy, so business models. So, a business model would be just the logic of how you deliver that value through to those target customers. So, you mentioned you know, value propositions. So, from the perspective of the customer, what is that value? Um, and then you've got the channels to market. How do you kind of structure revenue streams and, and that stuff? The next layer below business models and business strategy for me would then be, well, what's the operating model? So how do we organize ourselves around governance and um, people processes, you know, communication in order to then make that even possible. And then you have all of the, the wonderful other parts of it around marketing, specific marketing strategy, branding, people and, and yeah. things. So yeah, you're right. It's, I, I, I'm always conscious that it can't be happy clappy for the sake of it, you know, because it has to be r- relevant in practice for all of those things that you mentioned earlier around, well, how do we actually make a choice? You know, can these words inform choices, or or can't they? So we want to inspire people to be the best. We want to know. We want people to know how they can contribute to the purpose, but they also need to, you know, know how to apply it on a day to day basis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And listening to that, you know, uh, it seems like. Strategy is really just providing clarity to everyone. Like all those things you sort of suggested, there were all pretty much questions. You know, like mm. what are we doing? How do we generate this? How does a business make money? Who are our customers? <laughs> yeah. How do we add value? They're all questions. And um, and uh, you know, synthesizing what you said, and you, stop me if I'm incorrect, but would say like a strategy is essentially to provide clarity to an organisation.
1: Oh yeah, but well, big time.
0: Yeah, big time.
1: I mean, the two words that keep coming up for for us is that very single word, clarity, because if you have clarity on anything, you can make choices. You know, so we absolutely need clarity from from a strategy. Uh, the The second word that I think comes along from all of this research is alignment. So we talk about Kevin and I rowing across the ocean and how he and I are very, very different. Um, you know, he he's, um, you know, I think tw- uh, 12 years older than me when I first met him. He still is. Um, <laughs> that's a dad, dad joke. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, this alignment is is really important. And the word that I, I intentionally say that it isn't is agreement. You know, so uh, we need clarity and, al- and alignment, and that is around um, – not always agreeing with one another, but understanding that we're heading in the same direction. Um, and a, a different way of maybe mentioning or using alignment, I, I think of Kevin and I think of, of some of these other teams I've been in. And the phrase would be 90% agreement, but a 100% commitment. And once we have that understanding or we can accept that we don't have to agree on everything, you know, succinctly, but we're 100% committed on the direction of travel, wow, that can be, you know, powerful. Sometimes it might be frustrating because you think it's slowing you down a fraction because, you know, you just want to kind of keep moving forward or or cross the river or, or jump across the crevasses. But actually, you know, accepting that alignment may provide greater options in those times of need, then that can be even more powerful. So we want clarity and we want alignment because if we're always getting 100% agreement, maybe, you know, we've got the wrong kind of dynamics in the team. Mm. So those two words would be, for me, within strategy, really important.
0: Yeah, yeah. Alignment's are, is an interesting one. So, are you saying that alignment is ninety percent agreement and one hundred percent commitment? And that's how you define yeah, alignment. That's how I just de- that's how I define
1: it. You yeah. know, um,
0: like I'll give I'll give you a quick
1: example. I reckon this is so gold. Like there was this when you row across the ocean, there's a couple of different options for you to get there. You know, you can either row straight west, you know, A to B, or you can kind of benefit from the currents. And from the start line, you then mean it means you kind of row south and then you do a big arc and you row further, but you row faster. So there was this in uh, and, and most crews, their operating model, we talk about that. Most crews row two hours on, two hours off, two hours on, two hours off. So, you know, when one person's rowing, the other person's having a, a nap in the in the little cabin. And there was this other crew, Kevin, Kevin found this out. There was this other crew that for the first Whole week of this race, one of them was rowing west. No, they got to the first week of the race, and this was a crew that wanted to to win. They were super competitive. And after the first week, one of them had had come out of the cabin and he said to the other, well, "Look, how's it how's it going?" And the other guy said, "Look, this, this race sucks. You know, I'm I'm rowing as fast as I can west during my shift, but we're getting an update every day on where we are compared to the other crews, and we're toward the back of the fleet. I want to go home." So they're seven days into the race and this other guy stands there and he said to him, which way did you just say you were rowing? And this other guy had been rowing south during his shift. So they'd been rowing west, south, west, south, west, for the first damn week of this race. They then have this, I don't know, every team listening to the podcast here will have their own terminology. These two guys had a courageous conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and yeah, I think that the, the idiots carried on Right, they just couldn't agree, right? One said, look, you're an egg, I'm going west. The other guy said, stuff you, I'm going south. For another couple of days, they kept doing what they're doing. Now, finally, they just agreed to move on with their life and they then beelined it from wherever they were to Barbados. Now, they didn't do very well in the race and they didn't do well at all. And, you know, that's, to me, is a really good example of, of alignment, of you don't have to always... Kind of agree on every single tiny thing, but we just want to know that the direction of travel yeah. is is the same,
0: yes, yeah, so they were they were probably both a hundred percent commitment but zero percent agreement,
1: yeah, yeah, completely, and you cannot
0: argue <laughs> that they weren't putting
1: in effort, yeah. and they wanted to win, but, you know some crews just want to raise money for charity or or complete the race, or it's some sort of life transformation, and that is their awesome motivations. This was a crew. That they were committed to winning, you talk about then strategy you'd think that there should be sufficient alignment on how they're going to achieve their goal, but that was exactly where they had they had their flaws um yeah I just wow. I, oh, yeah, I crack up every time I think of it and and team and but the the scary thing sometimes is with teams or businesses, I share that uh little sort of story, and in the room. You can just see the eyes of and the, the reactions of some people. A lot of people laugh and, and things. And then some people, you can just tell that they're saying, that's exactly what we're like right now. Yeah. Um, so at least it's a positive that they're in the room to fix it.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah figuring it, making sure you're rowing in the right direction is, um, yeah. you know, is certainly a good analogy. And, yeah. um, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, if you talk about strategy, who who do you see out there that is nailing it? You know, who who's, you know, fundamentally, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying, you know, maybe not businesses you work with particularly, but strategies are quite broad and they're, they're often, you know, people sort of know what direction an organisation is trying to go in. Is there, is there an industry or a business or a, an organisation that you look at and go, you know what, you guys are really nailing your strategy at the moment?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so... So there are there are absolutely peak performers out there, and I find it really, um, you know, I find it really inspiring to s- sort of see these stories. It's worth keeping in mind, though, that it's always, uh, it always has to be connected back to what is the shareholder intent of uh, those who are involved in that business? Because let's not um, let ourselves fall into the trap of thinking, a business is only a success or a strategy is only a success when these stories are of people going global or you know it's not it's not exclusive mm. of that like someone like Allbirds you know mm. hey you know and I know that you've sort of you know Allbirds and um you know hey that's a great success story and their objective is is to change the way uh, shoes were sold and channels to market and things and and the sustainability and, and that, so there's a there's a success story but, if we think of at the other end of the continuum or a very a different perspective, what if you have a self employed person uh who has made the deliberate choice to say to themselves, "You know what i I love being nimble, I love being without the constraints of having a hundred staff and a fixed you know set of buildings somewhere." Uh, and my shareholder intent is that I want to choose this amount of work and time with my personal life. And this is what I'm doing within my, you know, within my mm. control. You know, that is a success if they've set out that, that that's their goal. So for anyone listening, uh, and this is something that I learned as as well in the early days of inspiring performance. You know, me and a few others, we said we're deliberately not wanting to create um, the business into becoming an exporter of, of IP. We work overseas, but we're not wanting to turn ourselves into, um, let's say, in a New Zealand setting, like in, in the Ice House, you know, which is a success story. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those people out there listening, uh, don't uh, – don't always compare yourself with other people in your industry thinking that they may be a success or not. It always comes back to, well, first of all, what is the personal ambitions and and shareholder intent? You know, even in a government setting, there are success stories out there too. And I know that some people like to have opinions about ministries and and governments and things. Um, But there are people like New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Um, In the very early days, and they wouldn't mind me saying this, Um, But there was a point in time when, as an agency, they thought the minister was the customer. But then once the share, rather than what it should be, which is, in my head, the minister should more be like the equivalent of the chair of a board, you know, in a corporate setting. But once that got shifted and they changed the, the, the attitude to who the customer is and their whole business model and how they operated... NZTE now is what I would describe as a peak performer within the government setting, and they're sort of role models for many others, and they're doing some amazing, amazing work. So um, long story short, yes, there are peak performers out there, mm-hmm. um, but I wouldn't want us to say it's only those who are the biggest yep. or the most global that are the best peak performers. There'll be so sort of people that we don't know uh, that, that are doing really, really well because they're clear on, on what they're trying to achieve, and they use that to make decisions.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, that's a, a brilliant point. I had Hayden Patton, the rally driver, on here a couple of weeks ago and he said something really profound and it stuck with me. He said, um, he said what he realized as he got older that that um, success wasn't winning, success was achieving his goals. So he said that some races we would go in and the goal would simply be to finish the stage or it'd be to, you know, put these new tires or this new setup or this new co driver through a test and and so his his Goal might have been completely unrelated to where he finished in the race, but success for him was hey, look, if we get to the end of this and we know that these tyres do this, that's success for us today. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, com- completely. You know, there have been books written, and it's a catchphrase that strategy is about where to play and how to win. But I've, I've you know, if you, I've just always changed my thinking on that, and, and it's more about where to play and how to succeed. Because mm. the ambition, the objective, just like Hayden, it, it, it isn't necessarily to win. It's, to, it's about succeeding in pursuit of what's important to you and that shareholder intent or, or, or purpose. So where to play and how to succeed. I, I really do like the, the word succeed because it winning isn't always um, yeah. the most important thing. A bit yeah, like the crew, yeah, a bit like those crews that were wanting to complete the race. Uh, rather than winning it now, those two other guys I mentioned they failed completely because they they did want to win. But um, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, the same guy I was talking about before, the Andy Beal, the endurance guy, he said um, as he got older, and you know he's he'd be um, you know above fifty now, I'd say. And he said to me that um, once he got rid of his um, mindset towards, he said he said getting on the podium was more a function of who else turned up rather than how you performed and so as as he got older he realised that it wasn't about getting on the podium, it was about defining, you know, what his performance should look like and what peak performance for him looked like at that event and then achieving that with success and I think there's a, a lesson and, and also you know, similarities in what you're saying and a great lesson for everyone, it's, it's not about comparison as such as defining what success is to you and then going out and doing your best to achieve that
1: oh yeah 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 no i can yeah completely agree um i mean yeah if if you're going to be truly and and deep down proud of your own efforts there your pride will most likely come more from what's within you and your own effort than what other people have done
0: yeah it's a beautiful point, and and again, this all sort of comes down to clarity, isn't it? You know, this is we're talking a bit more about internal reflection now rather than external, um, and you know, it's that it's that whole sort of thing that if if you don't know where you're going, then any road will do. And it's sort yeah. of about sort of refining what it is that you want, what's important, what success looks like, how you'd measure that, and and when the end point of this game is, and 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 creating your own metrics to to to. To figure out if that's success to you, and then trying to do that rather than any external influences. Yeah, 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 Completely. We, um, you know, we on the roof of our
1: tent, or you know, or on the ocean, or any of these other goals. On the roof of our tent, uh, traveling along towards the South Pole, we we put these lines on the roof of our tent, and and it was just about how to get to the next line. You know, and it's the first thing you see when you wake up in the morning, the roof, and it's the last thing you see before you close your eyes. Um it and you just try and draw this little line to get and the, and each line was a reflection of the um the degrees of latitude between eighty and ninety degrees south. And it and it's just about how can we get there? So you you mentioned metrics. You know, you can you can measure how busy you are, but it's I think it's probably slightly more worthwhile to to measure in a business set, setting, how are we creating value? Um, and in a personal setting, value for me was about mileage towards the South Pole and were we on track or not? You know, when you're rowing across the ocean, what we did was we had these, we broke the ocean down into about 45 different pieces for each of the days that we hoped to get there. Now it turns out we we got there a lot quicker than that, um, which was good, but each of these tiny little lines, you don't want to have that on one A4 piece of paper because the lines are so, you know, almost meaningless and, and mm. when you draw a pen, it's sort of not a very far thing. So Kevin, in his very, um, you know, in, a, in his wisdom, he made the same chart, but over about six or seven pieces of paper. And so it meant that every time, every day when we sort of drew a little line, it felt like, oh wow, that's actually, we've traveled a long way. Um, now, none of the other crews that we spoke to did anything like that. There was one crew that I heard of or in our race. There were 18 and other, others in our race. And one of these other crews at the start line, they just put in the coordinates for the finish line, 5,000 k's away, and all they ever looked at was a countdown clock of how many kilometres there were to go. You know, so at like 2 a.m. on day 14, how motivating is that? You know, not motivating really, and mm. so we were just trying to create that sense of urgency around how can we just get to the next little line, and so they were the metrics of just how do we just sustain some momentum, mm. um, the momentum that we need to to get there, um, and you yeah, so that's for us. It was it was you know back to that phrase: what we focus on becomes our reality.
0: Yeah, 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 totally. I. Um, I did. A, I've done a bit of running in the past, and I, I, with a marathon, someone said to me, um, "You can't go out and run 42 k's in your head." They said it'll do you, and you have to run one k 42 times. And oh, I love um, that. it was such a beautiful way to put it, and um, it really, it, and it, it just makes it so much more durable in your head. Um, oh, and the, the mental, so. the mental game is, uh, is, in any of those adventurous or endurance-based thing, it's, it's you know, more about your mental preparation and, and performance rather than your physical oh. capabilities. Big time, big time we um,
1: you talk about the goals that you that you set up with or having to do a thousand burpees the other day. Um, foolishly with some mates, we said, um, you know we're talking about ergs rowing machines having to try and keep fit. And so, foolishly, we came up with this goal of having to row 50 kilometres on a rowing machine. Now, anyone who's sort of uses rowing machines, and certainly any rowers, probably have a love-hate relationship with them. And so, having to do 50 k's in once is not really that appealing at all. Um, So, I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't think of of it as 50 k's. And you have to pace yourself pretty well for 50 k's on the erg. So, for me, it was more about... um, you know, how many episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> you can have on the screen nearby yeah. uh, or how many songs on the on the Spotify playlist and you just had to break it down like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have to. Just even mentally, it makes it far more achievable than anything else. Yeah. Um, you talked about you know a peak performance as well, and we've we've used it a well, word. You've defined it beautifully, um, you know. And you also talked about um, you know, you know, there's a, there's a huge amount of research and work now into um, you know sporting teams, um, even our own All Blacks, into organisations. There's there's countless books written, and um, you know, I'd like to talk about your experience and, and what are some of the key fundamentals that um, you know businesses, teams, and organisations, and even individuals that are performing at their best. What are some of the key things that the, the, the similarities in what they're doing?
1: Yeah. Um so, so if I think about professionally and from an adventure point of view, for for participants to feel that they've got skin in the game. Uh and and from an established establishing strategy point of view, I would say that there's a degree of co-creation involved. So let's say with my work now, there's, um, you know, workshops and things, we build strategy in real time, uh, and then, you know, that might be with a group of people, but then you kind of expand it out to others in the business and things, and and, and it's always for people to feel like they've helped co-create the direction. Uh, that's that's really important. In an adventure setting, let's like say with this, t- this TV show, first crossings I got to do where we were recreating these pioneering journeys from the last few hundred years and we'd we'd wear the same clothing, eat the same sort of food and things as as what these pioneers did years and years ago but as our as a little team that we were out there filming, each of us had a little role, but we felt like we had skin in the game to this shared purpose of uh trying to make history exciting and so co-creation would be the, would be the first thing. Um, a sense of, I'd call it family, would be would be a common thing, and the the benefit of that would be like any families, it, um, you're all different, but you, and it, and people make mistakes and things, but there's the comfort of knowing that you can be there can be a degree of honesty. Um, or, or feedback without judgment, um, not not so that it's an ego versus ego point of view, but that it's feedback and pursuit of what our shared goal is. So I'd say that there's a, a sort of a um, an element of of family there. And if you mentioned the All Blacks, let's say the All Blacks' purpose is to inspire and unite a nation, uh, and that their their goal at a point in time was to be the the most successful sport uh, team in the history of sport, um, which was their equivalent of their greatest imaginable challenge. Um, You know, it means that the participants within the team or within the the structure, that sense of family meant that they could hold each other to account and there could be a degree of honesty. So that would be the the second thing. Um, And also uh, the last two things very quickly would be celebrating success. So we talk about milestones uh, before with the roof of the tent and, and things, um, being able to celebrate each other's uh, contribution towards the goal uh, would be really important. So, um, which is different from just celebrating someone being a really nice person in their own right or something, it has to be success towards what we share together. Um, and the other thing, though, is celebrating and recognizing decisions uh, or saying no to things. You know, celebrating or recognizing um, when we've made sacrifices or said no to, you know, things that may be distractions. Mm -hmm. Um, Because then that just builds the conviction of the wider team to why they're doing what they're doing and the purpose. So
0: that'd be it. Yeah. Uh, Those are interesting. The skin in the game one's really interesting. I sort of, um, have you read the book by that name, Skin in the Game? No, no. Oh, it's uh, I I was listening to a book last night and 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 the rec- had a recommended reading section at the end and and it said uh, read that so I downloaded it last night and I'm about to start it but I think it's um you know, it's that whole sort of you know, if they plan the fight, they don't fight the plan, you know. And I think that if, if yeah. you know, if, if everyone's in on what you're trying to do, it's certainly, um, you know, and, and it's probably that alignment thing you talked about at the start, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? That, that, yeah. Same, that same sort of thing. And um, the family analogy industry as well, I mean, it sort of relates back to having skin in the game. We're all responsible for us, uh, you know, achieving this in, in and in an environment that's safe to do. So those are fantastic. I mean, what an interesting yeah. um, way to look at it. It seems like, you know, you've got this really obvious synergies. You know, and even the examples you can give there are, are perfect between the the, the 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 businesses that you work in now, but also the adventures adventures that you've you've been on. And it, it, it seems that they they both relate to sort of challenging your potential and and performing at your best. And you know, what I mean? It's, it's a question that's impossible to answer, but like. I would say a very small percentage of people and organisations actually perform at their at their capabilities. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'd be, I mean, I'd, it would be great. I'd, I'd be interested
1: in hearing from your, you know, listeners about their response to that and what they've seen. Um, you know, you want people to be the best. I think it's pretty hard to argue with the fact, uh, with the idea that we want people to be the best that they can be. And, you know, not everyone is going to be an Olympic gold medalist, but equally, not everyone wants to be an Olympic gold medalist. Some people want to be the best father possible, you know, to help their child do X, Y, and Z. Or someone wants to, you know, so within a work setting, I I learned in those early years that I was really trying to make a name for myself and, and see a team just explode in terms of performance but they just were not the personal ambitions of uh, every individual. So this concept of personal purpose, in uh, more recently I've found to be quite useful. We absolutely need to know how we're, our role contributes to our organization's direction. Uh, and, and there's been plenty of research done on this. There's a company, strategizer we've sort of got a chance to know and um, some of the research they've done was that, you know, about eighty percent of businesses fail to meet the potential of their strategy, and it's not because it's a stink strategy; it's because not everyone or every team understands how their contribution matters. So, yeah. So back to the back to the point where it's important for people to know what their contribution is, but equally, it's important for managers or leaders or role models to know what that person is excited about, perhaps outside of business. Because you may not be, your skills as a coach or something may not be, um, you know, they'll be relevant to a degree with their business work, but they might be fantastic to help them achieve their goals of, you know, charity or community or, you know, other things. So, yeah, they might, you might think they're only 1% performance within the business, but they might actually be 80% of doing something out of it.
0: Yeah, which is really what they're after. So, yeah, knowing mm. them is certainly helpful. Mm. Do, you, do you think it's better to, you know, when it comes to increasing performance, do you think it's better to work on your weaknesses or double down on your strengths?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, well, my, my default would be, and Kevin would make fun of me about this, um, my default is that if I'm going to move into the future, I would rather take the best bits with me than all of the baggage you know if i'm going to move into the unknown space the future i would much prefer to take the best of what i know than than what i'm um what what i know isn't going to work so on that basis building on strengths that would be you know my my answer to the question it's it's not to ignore the reality that if you're going to achieve an ambitious goal you need to pull your socks up in other areas as well you know I knew that for the south pole my my strengths w- around um patterns of behavior within a team communication conflict management um commitment to say um fitness side of it and and uh strength and and th- it was a real strength I knew that I could have the endurance willpower and and physical ability to do some some good stuff and that's what led to all of this training and things but what i knew that my my weaknesses were were questioning things around um equipment you know or r and d in terms of the kit that we would require and nutrition now they were not my strengths but i knew that without you know, changing the way equipment was being used or some of the material that we'd use or having the right nutrition. I knew that we couldn't get there either. Um, one of the benefits, though, was having Kevin, um, who was amazing at that stuff. Hmm. So, you know, there was a bit of a design or a, maybe a strategy behind how we set the team up.
0: Yeah, yeah, complementary skills certainly are beneficial. And yeah, it's an interesting one. I think that you're all obviously everyone needs a base level of, of skills. Like, for example, everyone needs to be able to, you know, read and, and uh, yeah, you know, yeah. literacy and, and numeracy. But, yeah. you know, not everyone can break a financial statement down to the same degree, but you just need mm. one person that, you know, even in a board, for example, you just need one or two people with really strong financial skills that are able to, you know, but you're, to, to, to really dive into that. But everyone needs to have a broader understanding of that. So, yeah, a little bit of both is, is probably the answer.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, maybe uh, I worked with a guy, um, Paul Stewart, really admire this guy, super, super smart. And one of the things that I, uh, because you have like pessimists and optimists and realists and things like that, um, you know, or that philosophically they might, you know, describe themselves. And then you have the cup half full or the cup half empty. One thing that Paul said to me uh, once was, you know, maybe the cup is only half full. And for me, that was really, really clever because it was building on our strengths, but it was accepting that we need to have this hunger for improving, a collective improvement of Mm. everything about us. It's not to be negative about needing to improve. It's about being positive about what we can still achieve in the future. So I always come back to this whole thing is that, you know, the cup is only half full. So it allows you to be optimistic. Yeah. But but drive for improvement. And and when we come back to that peak performance thing, continually trying to exceed your own best practice in pursuit of a clear and inspirational purpose, for me that's around giving permission to, to always looking for ways to improve. Um and, and, that, and so you don't have to be negative. It's not a bad thing to, yeah. to want that.
0: And almost the opposite. It can be aspirational. Oh, yeah, big time. That's a, what a beautiful way to put that. Hey, look, I'm conscious of your time. I've got three things to finish up with, three questions. Um, you obviously do a lot of research and, and you know, you're, you're constantly, you know, um, learning and, and looking and reading and listening. What's on your mind at the moment? You know, what is something in the last week or last few days that you've been thinking about or working on or come across that's interested you or, or inspired you?
1: Yeah, so it's probably, um, it's coming up more and more often. So with, with, covid the pandemic you know th- things are we're living with it more or 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 it's more accepted that you know hey well, this is just an ongoing thing it, it's around operating models within a, within businesses people people businesses goals or purpose they may have you know changed them they may have kind of only slightly changed them they may have sort of stayed the same but the operating models of businesses um it's they've been forced to adjust in the last you know couple of years you know either willingly or unwillingly what i'm interested at the moment is those organizations who are slipping back to how they used to work or they're not slipping back to how they used to work and the question for me is um you in order to achieve a strategy you you want to know what your target operating is, uh, operating model is, and so um, I'm always looking now at how deliberate are people about their operating model, or are they just defaulting back to some things that they may have used to do? And I'm not talking about just working in a city or at home. I'm talking about delegated authority of decision making governance, you, you know, people in performance, how are we recognizing, induction, you know, all of that other stuff. Um, because once we've said it, you know, throughout the podcast is around being deliberate and clear on what we want. Um, I'm interested in, in operating models at the moment.
0: Yeah, interesting, really interesting. Um, where next, like, what are you, what's, what's you know, like, uh, do you have any adventures planned? Are you, um, are you focusing on the the, the the business at the moment?
1: Yeah, we're doing heaps of business stuff at the moment. I'm finding that's um, keeping me pretty busy. I've, um, I've, um, I'm pleased to say that I've, I've just become an executive fellow of Waikato Management School. And so we're just setting up a leadership academy for year 13 students in New Zealand. And for me, that's really, really inspiring, helping these young people with big aspirations, big, you know, really interesting vision. You know, how can we help them be the best they can be? So that's something that I'm I'm interested in. Some adventures. Um, Yeah, I did this walk where we walked the length of uh, New Zealand along the Te Araroa Trail with with a bunch of teenage Kiwi kids. You know, I'd love to get into a bit more of that. So less South Pole and ocean rowing, call Mm it, um, and maybe more about how to help other people achieve an adventure that's special to them
0: amazing hey and if someone is listening and all the stuff you're saying is just resonating and they're realizing that they they need you or your services how do they find you
1: yeah hey just jump on the uh, inspiring performance website um inspiringperformance.co.nz um or you know um you know give me a google or or maybe you know once they've downloaded the website uh the podcast from you mate there's probably some links and things but mm-hmm. yeah hey it's um you know, I'm I'm equally as inspired by any businesses who are who are aspirational and have some exciting ideas about their future and want to be the best that they can be. I get just as much out of hearing about them as what they may or may not get from from the process that we do with people.
0: Amazing and amazing. And the, the last question is, what do you wish everyone knew? And well, I ask this to everyone, and as you know, it's the. If, if you know your life has led you down a, a particular road and you've got a particular set of experiences and skills and knowledge and um you know what do you think that the world and anyone who's listening would be better for if if they knew i think
1: everyone would be better off if they knew deep down that the decisions they make today are within their control you know if you're having a a good day, a bad day, and anything else day, how we choose to respond to things are within our control. So we've talked a lot of today about being deliberate. Um, you know, there are lots of books out there on a thousand different topics. Our, our choices today will influence what we do tomorrow and even what else we do today. Just know that... Y- your decisions, whatever they are, just know that you've been deliberate with making that decision.
0: That's beautiful. Jamie Fitzgerald, mate, I am incredibly grateful for your time, for, um, you know, your wisdom that you've shared so openly and honestly today. Um, you know, I know that you're obviously a busy guy. You've got a lot going on. So to sit down and chat with me for, you know, over an hour is, um, is, is really, I'm really appreciative and really grateful. So thank you very, very much. Um, I wish you all the best and uh, inspiring performance.co.nz um, if anyone, anyone wants to check that out. But Jamie, mate, thank you again. I really appreciate your time.
1: No, wicked. Thanks, Matty.
0: there we go Jamie Fitzgerald wow there are some incredible bits of wisdom in there and uh, I'm incredibly grateful to Jamie for for making the time today he's got a great story and and some amazing um, insights that he shared today so openly and um, I'm really appreciative of his time and uh, and and the conversation that we did get to have today I'm also really appreciative and grateful for you. Thank you so much for checking out the Road to Success podcast. I know I say this all the time, but I just love getting to have these conversations and I do get to have them because people like you listen. So thank you so much for checking out the Road to Success podcast. And if you did take something out of today or any of the other episodes, if you could please leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast, there'll be the ability to leave a rating or a review. If you could do that, again, I would be so grateful. It would really mean the world to me. Alternatively, you can share this podcast, again, wherever you're listening to it, just hit share and send it to someone and they too can listen to Jamie and some of the stuff that we've talked about today and hopefully add some value in their life as well. Alternatively, you can just tell someone old school. Go and check out the Road to Success podcast. We're on both uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and they can find us just by searching us on there. Also a huge thank you to Celebrity Speakers. Um, as you know, Jamie is a speaker. He shares a lot of the wisdom that he that he gave us today um, in a speaking format. So look, if, if you or your organization uh, put on events or are having an event and you'd like a speaker like Jamie, then just head to CelebritySpeakers.co.nz, and again, you can just inquire with the team there. As we finish up, thank you so much to Jamie. Thank you so much to you for checking out the Road to Success podcast and this episode. Again, it really does mean the world to me. Until next time, love ya, see ya, bye.